morning. Happy Easter. That's um, yeah, it's exciting to finally be here. Like I've been thinking about Easter uh, for more than a month. You could say I've been nervous, but but also just just ready, just excited. Um, it's fun to see kids dressed up today, like girls in their cute little dresses. I saw a lot of clip-on ties, pretty awesome. I think I even saw a pretty cool uh, bow tie. Um, my, my youngest, Hudson 5, he'll wear a clip-on tie even with a t-shirt, so he's, uh, he likes them a lot. Um, confession, I'm pretty sure I wore this exact shirt last year, Easter. I, for some reason, it looks like Easter to me, and I, I'm almost positive I haven't worn it since Easter, so... If, uh, if you only visit us on Easter, I just am trying to make you feel comfortable. So um, anyway, it's so fun. We had the Easter egg hunt yesterday. I know I talked about that a little bit, but I, I started off, uh, we have a three-year-old, so I started off in the little kid area, and, and I love watching little kids in an Easter egg hunt. Like, just so adorable. Like, they're scared, but they're excited, and, and, and they say go, and, and, and they start moving, and, and they can, I mean, they're new to walking anyway, plus the grass is really long, so they're moving like these little baby dinosaurs, and then they, they find an egg, and they hoist it up to mom or dad, like this is the most, the best treasure ever, right? And, and, and they don't know yet even that they can go get more eggs, so some of them, like, I watched a girl crack the egg open, and just elated that there's like this little piece of candy there. She doesn't even know really what it is. The older kids know, right? Like you transition. I went then to the field to try and find my other kids, three other kiddos. And it's, it, is, uh, it was safe, but it's crazy out there. And some of these kids look like they've been in training for this, right? Like... Like Halloween happened, they take like a month to recoup, and then I'm getting ready. And, and, and they're, as soon as, as soon as they say go, they take off and they're looking for eggs. They pick up the egg and they don't even look that thing into the receptacle, right? Like by faith, they get it there. And they're scanning, all right, that's my next target, and then I'm going there. That girl looks slow, I bet I can beat her to that egg. Right, so they find the eggs, and then once they're sure all the eggs are done, then they sit down with their buddies, and they crack them all open. I noticed this kid yesterday with like three piles of candy, and I I ascertained that the first pile was like the good stuff, right? Like whatever his favorites were. And then the next pile is like, this stuff's okay, but I'm not touching it yet. And I think the last pile is like, this is for my little brother and sister, like, when they want something, I'm giving them the jelly bean or the bitto honey or whatever they don't like, right? So, um, Easter egg hunts, they're, they're kind of weird. Kids like them, though. I, I meant to look up, like, how do we even get to this point where we have Easter, Easter egg hunts? But I don't know. At some point, you stop doing them, uh, kind of. Like, as adults, our Easter egg hunt is uh, it, it's different. It's more sophisticated. Uh, we're still looking for treasure, Right? We're still looking for, for something that will satisfy us. And, and some of us think that if we just pile up tons and tons and tons of, of, of these things or these relationships or, or, or status or power or money or whatever it is, that, that it will satisfy. But I want to ask you this morning, I want you to think about what do you treasure? How do you answer that question? What, what, what is it that you treasure? Because uh, much of what we treasure is, is temporary. We, we can stock, stockpile it up in, into those piles like, like, like our kids do with the candy. But, but ultimately, much of what we treasure is temporary, and it'll still leave us wanting. Matthew 16, 26, Jesus says, 
What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or Jesus says, you, you can chase, you can grab, you can stockpile everything that this world has to offer. And, and, and some of it will bring some satisfaction. Right? I'm, not, I'm not saying it doesn't satisfy at all. But you can stockpile all of it up, and ultimately it's going to fall short if it's not Jesus, if Jesus isn't the one that you treasure. And Jeremiah, he's a prophet in the Old Testament. In chapter 2, verse 13, God says that my people have forsaken me. And God compares himself. He says, he says I'm this fountain of living water, right? This fountain that never runs dry. The water is crystal clear. It's cool. It's going to satisfy your thirst. But instead, you've ditched the living water. And you've gone, and it says you've dug these, these cisterns, right? You've dug this pit, and you've lined it. And you're trying, you're putting water in this. You're stockpiling water in here, hoping, thinking that this is better than what I offer you. He says the problem is these cisterns are, are broken. You don't even realize it, but these cisterns, they've sprung a leak. You, you put your hope in this thing, and, and before you know it, it's empty. It's, it's totally void. And the biggest problem is, even though you know it's got a leak sometimes, you, you keep pouring in thinking that, that this is, it's going to work this time. It's going to be better, that this thing that you treasure is going to be what satisfies you. And we all know what it's like to put our hope in something that does not pan out. Right, maybe, it's, maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a better job. Maybe it's getting into that, that program, that school, or... or, or some kind of status thing, power, getting your bank account up to a certain point, and yet none of those things, even when they work out, none of those things compare to what God has for us. Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, he, he gives his resume, his religious resume, and it's impeccable, right? The, the achievements he had religiously were unlike anyone, certainly, that he was writing to, but unlike really anyone that, that was even a peer of his. And he says this in verse 8. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. Paul says, nothing compares to knowing Jesus. Nothing at all. Like all, all the stuff that Paul looked back on, all his accomplishments, everything he did, he says, there's a total waste It's just loss compared to knowing Jesus, of being in this relationship with with the living God. And I I want you to hear today. I I want you to hear, I want you to know that there's nothing compared to knowing Jesus. Nothing will satisfy that, that desire. Nothing will fulfill you like Christ. Whatever we treasure outside of Christ will just come up short. Matthew 6, 19, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And uh, Gary read uh, from Luke 24 today, but I want want to catch you up what happens before that. So Jesus starts his public ministry about three years earlier, and and, and he he, he slowly but surely, he's gaining followers, more and more people believe. They see like something's different about Jesus. They, they realize there's never been a teacher like him. No, no prophet like Jesus. Some, some see like this guy is from God and others realize like, no, this guy is God. Jesus is God. And they, they believed that there was one who would save Israel 
from their oppressors, right? And Israel had been oppressed different times throughout their history. And now they're, they're under the rule of the Romans. And Jesus, many recognize that Jesus was the one promised through the Old Testament, the one that would save them. Last week was Palm Sunday, and, and, and that's when Jesus, he, he rides through on, on a donkey, and he's celebrated, right? So there's this, there's this giant parade for him, and, and people are praising him. They're acknowledging him. They're, they're giving him the, the worth that, that truly he is due, right? They, they acknowledge that he is the king. People are taking their cloaks, and they're, they're, laying, them, they're laying them before him on the ground, paying him, uh, homage to him. Jesus is finally being worshipped publicly as he should be. And it's, it's in fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I'm sure for, for Jesus' followers, this, the time must have been just electric as they could sense that finally... It was coming to its fruition that, that Jesus was, was going to be exalted as the king of the Jews. And, and they were right, but Jesus was going to be exalted in a way no one expected. He was going to be exalted on a cross. So later that week, you may know the story, but Judas, one of his own from his inner circle, betrays him. He's arrested. He's falsely accused. He goes through these trials. He, he's mocked. He's savagely beaten. They found him guilty of nothing, and yet the people demanded that he be crucified. So he was. He was crucified, and he was buried. And this was not at all the plan of the disciples. This wasn't the plan of his closest followers. And yet this is exactly what God's plan was. Luke twenty three fifty two. it says, uh, there's a man named Joseph. Um, we're picking up in 52. It says, this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid, it, uh, laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments, and on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. And they were supposed to rest. It was a Sabbath. But my suspicion is they were not able to rest. I'm, I'm pretty sure that rest was elusive for them. These women were absolutely crushed. Their hopes were squashed. And it wasn't even just that Jesus was, was going to be this king and, and they were close to him. It was, they loved him. They, they adored him. Their hope was in him. They, they truly treasured Jesus. Even though he was dead, they, they just found that they wanted to be near him. So after another night of tossing and turning, they got up really early to go to the tomb. They had already prepared the spices and the ointments to care for his body. It was the least they could do for the one they'd come to love so much. Verse 1 of chapter 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So they, they went in expecting to find a corpse. They went in expecting to find the body of Jesus in the tomb. They, they did not expect for it to be empty. Jesus raising from the dead was not on their minds. Like Maybe they woke up that first morning after Jesus was crucified and hoped that it had all just been a bad dream. Uh, I'm sure many of you have experienced that. You, you lose someone that you love, and, and that next morning you wake up just hoping it was a terrible nightmare. 
So maybe that happened to them, but by now, they knew Jesus was dead. There's a common misconception that, that people back then just easily accepted that Jesus rose from the dead. Like their, their, their mind isn't as sophisticated as the modern mind today. They, they, don't, they didn't know anything about science. They were open to, uh, to superstition. They were open to mystical things, miracles, supernatural. So, so they would just buy that, oh yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. But verse 4, it says they're perplexed about this. Right, they come to the tomb, and, and they're perplexed. They, they can't figure out what happened. It didn't add up. They saw Jesus' dead body in the tomb days before. So their, their, brain just, their brains flood with possibilities. Like, who did this? What happened? Is it grave robbers? How would they get the stone away? Would, would the disciples do this? That doesn't make any sense. There's no indication that one of the possibilities that these women thought when they got there, it was, oh, Jesus rose from the dead. Awesome. Right? They, they did not think that. There's nothing that shows us that. We skip down to verse 6. Angels are talking to the women at the tomb. It says, he's not here, but he is risen. And then he says, remember how he told you. Right? So Jesus said this. While he was still in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day rise. The angels say that to the women. None of the women go, I told you. He did it! Woo! Right? Like, that did not happen. In verses 10 and 11, we'll get to these later. They go and tell the disciples, right, his, his closest followers. And the disciples, it says, they didn't believe him. They did not believe these women. They thought it was an idle tale. So the notion that people back then heard that Jesus rose from the dead and just bought it, accepted it as truth without, you know, even thinking much, is, is just not true. And maybe that's you today. Maybe, maybe like, hey, maybe Jesus died for me, but I can't buy this resurrection stuff. Like, that is not scientifically possible. You're right. It's not scientifically possible. This is a supernatural act of God. God intervened, and, and, and through the Holy Spirit, he rose Jesus from the dead. I think it's really interesting that, that the women were the first witnesses in the gospel accounts um, to, to Jesus' resurrection. In, in the centuries immediately following the gospel accounts, uh, women being the ones that, that were the first ones to realize that Jesus had risen from the dead, the first ones to even see Jesus, um, this is used as, as an argument why the gospel accounts can't be true. Women were not highly viewed back then. The, 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 the testimony of a woman didn't, it wasn't credible compared to the testimony of a man. Um, so, so they dismissed that, that, that this was true. Right? There, there are people, there are quotes, where, where they, they, they call these just emotional women right? that didn't know what they were talking about, that, that wanted to see what they, or wanted, wanted to see what they believed, what they thought. And oddly enough, today, historians, Christian and non-Christian, see this actually as evidence that the gospel accounts are true. Right? Because back then, no one would have fabricated a story with, with a female as, as the lead testimony that, that Jesus had risen from the dead. No one would have made up something and had women as the ones that, that were saying, no, this happened. Their, their testimony could be support, but never foundational. Let's jump back in verse 4. It says, while they're perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? 
And this question's just been rolling around in my brain and my heart for the last four weeks. I think 2,000 years later, this question is just as important for us to think through as it was for them. The question challenges our focus. It challenges our beliefs about Jesus. It invites us to examine where we try and find life. The, the obvious answer to the question is, well, because he was killed, he died, he was crucified. Like, we saw this. Back in 6, it, it says, and I read this earlier, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, son of man must suffer, must be crucified, and rise on the third day. Nathan already shared the gospel, really. It was awesome. Uh, I'm going to... I'm gonna, I, I'm going to paint a couple other things in there, but Nathan, you killed it wherever you are. Um, so God created us to be in this relationship with him, and, and it was perfect. Nothing wrong with it. Totally flawless. Man and the divine in perfect relationship. And yet we know, as Nathan said, sin enters through Adam. There's a pastor named David Platt, and, and he, he said, uh, the essence of sin is man substitutes himself for God. We put ourselves in God's place. We want to call the shots. And that, that sin, it, it shattered the relationship. Right? It's marred, actually, all of creation. And our sin is against God. He alone is worthy of our worship, our affection, our devotion. But, but we, we've substituted ourselves in God's place because we want to call the shots. We want the glory. We want the control. The Bible tells us that we are in rebellion against God. And maybe you hear rebellion, because this is something at our church, actually, we say a lot, that, that we're in rebellion against God. And you're like, what are you talking about? I'm not in rebellion against God. And I think part of the problem is all of humanity is in that rebellion, so we can't spot it. I was in middle school, um, and uh, there was this one time, I don't remember the details, but somehow our teacher left the room, and we knew it was going to be a long time. And it pretty quickly turned into the Lord of the Flies, okay? <laughs> I, was, I was a kid that didn't like getting in trouble. I didn't like doing much wrong. I mean, obviously, I still did stuff wrong. Um, but that day, like, there was something about, like, the spitballs my buddy was making that it was, like, drawing me in. Pretty soon, I've got a straw. I'm making spitballs. And the room's just chaos. It is it's terrible we did this. Absolute chaos, right? And me and, like, three other dudes were, like, ducking behind chairs. And we're, like, on the same count. We're going to jump up and nail these guys. And we didn't know. Like, our backs were to the door. We didn't know the teacher started watching through the window right? And just as she opened is when we did our big attack. And we easily get roped into what we don't even realize is happening. We don't recognize when rebellion against God because everyone is in rebellion against God. And the, the, the Bible tells us that God is perfectly just, right? You can't just look the other way when it comes to sin, Sin has to be paid for. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And you say, but I thought God was love. Well, God is love. But, but he, he, doesn't, he doesn't just look the other way. Right? Love, love doesn't just edge out justice. I, I remember a couple years ago, I don't want to go into the details, but there's an athlete uh, at, a, at a college in California that um, did something pretty terrible. And um, a judge actually ended up finding him guilty um, and there was a pretty broad range of the sentence um, that, that was possible. And, and uh, the, the penalty that he got, the sentence he got, felt minuscule 
compared to what this guy did. And, and for the sake of argument, let's just assume for this story that he did do it. And people were outraged all across the nation over what this guy did. This was not justice, right? This judge blew it. People were calling for this judge's job that he should no longer have the privilege of sitting on the bench. God is a just judge, right? He does not make mistakes. He does not look the other way. We stand before the judge, and we're guilty, and the sentence is death. But God promised a way. He, he said that he would redeem. He said that the Savior would come. So Jesus comes, like Nathan said, fully God, fully man. And he had to come to us because we could never make our way to him. He, he lived the sinless life that we were supposed to live. And because he never sinned, he could step in. He could take our place. Scripture says that Jesus, he who knew no sin, became sin. So earlier I said that the essence of sin is man substitutes himself for God. Well, the way of salvation is Jesus willingly substitutes himself in the place of sinful man. Dies the death that we deserve to die. The blood of Jesus, the spotless lamb, satisfies the holy wrath of God and saves all who would put their faith in Jesus. Romans 10.9, I love this verse. It says, because if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So not only did Jesus die, but, but we celebrate today that he defeated death when he rose from the grave. It's ironic that the death of Jesus put death to death. Right? There's victory over death um, because of Jesus. We're no longer stuck dead in our sins if we put our faith in Christ because Jesus conquered death. So that curse has no hold on us any longer. So these women says, why do you seek the living among the dead? Well, because Jesus died. We know now Jesus was the atoning sacrifice, but they didn't get that yet. The question, why do you seek the living among the dead? Obviously, it reveals that Jesus is alive. These women were seeking this, this dead Jesus, this lifeless body. They were going to pay their last respects as they prepared his body for his final burial. And I'm sure the tears were just waiting. Stories, if they could have seen Jesus, the stories would have flooded into their minds. However, they come and they find that, that Jesus is actually alive. And what a total shock. What a total shock to find out that Jesus is alive. How shocking for the women, believing he was dead, to come and see this empty tomb and, and be told that, that God had raised him from the dead. Because of the resurrection, we don't seek a dead Jesus, right? We seek the living Jesus, and this Jesus is the only one who can give us life. The question, why do you seek the living among the dead, it challenged what these women believed about Jesus, it challenged what they thought was true. They believed that death held power over Christ. And the angel's question challenged that. And I want you to ask yourself, like, is there anything about what you know, what you believe about Jesus that needs to be challenged? And I would say, if your understanding of Jesus is not based on Scripture, then it needs to be challenged. Because this book... The Bible tells us what is true about Jesus. There's all kinds of other stories and thoughts and ideas about Jesus, but it's, it's Scripture that tells us who Jesus is, and these women needed their belief about Jesus to be challenged. The question, why do you seek the living among the dead? It changed their focus. They, they were focused on the cross. They were focused on, on Jesus' death. And, and the question, why do you seek the living among the dead? took them off the cross into the resurrection. 
the cross is our symbol as Christians, right? This is, this is our symbol, and, and, and rightly so. The cross is everything to us. And yet, without the resurrection, the cross loses its meaning. Jesus raising from the dead means that, that God accepted the sacrifice of Christ as our substitute, that, that it counted, right? That, that it worked. That if we believe in Jesus' death and resurrection, we, we die with Jesus to that old life, like, uh, like we talked about in the baptism. We die to our old self, our old ways, our thoughts, our, our us calling the shots, and we rise with Jesus just as he resurrected. Without the resurrection, we wouldn't call it Good Friday. It would just be a tragedy like so many other tragedies throughout history. The resurrection validates what Jesus did for us. The resurrection tells us that Jesus' claims were true, that, that he was, in fact, God. There's a lot of people that have claimed to be the Messiah, and they died, and they didn't come back. And everyone said they weren't the Messiah. All right? Jesus, raising from the dead, proves his claims. It means that if we put our faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus, if we turn from our sin and turn to Jesus, we will be saved. Verse 6, it says, He's not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he's in Galilee. So what the angels do is they redirect the women to the words of, of Jesus himself. They take, they, they take the women back to Scripture. Yeah, man, I, if, if you aren't reading God's word, I'd invite you to do that. There, we have so much access to God's word today, it's, it's incredible. I think I have like six different versions on my phone for free, right? I've got three different Bible reading apps, okay? We have so much access to scripture. We need God's word. It's God's word. In God's word, he reveals himself to us. He helps us understand what we need to be saved. So they used Jesus' own words to put them back on track. It was God's, God's words that set them straight. Without God's words, we're operating on our own ideas, beliefs, assumptions, presuppositions. The question, why do you seek the living among the dead? It's because this is what we do. We look for life in all the wrong places. We search for life among dead things. We would never go to a cemetery thinking we would find life there. No one would ever do that. And yet, this is what we do in our life. We think that this thing or that thing is going to give us what we want. It will fulfill us. It will make us happy. It will make the pain go away, whatever it is. And yet, only Jesus gives life. It's in John 14, 6. Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So Jesus, he he promises us life now. It's not just in the future, someday in heaven, but he says, no, uh, through the Holy Spirit, I'll impart spiritual life to you right now. The the Bible describes it, that that God wants to, he wants to do this heart surgery on us. We've got this heart that is dead. It's so dead that it's it's, it's like a a cold stone, absolutely lifeless. And God says, I want to replace that, that heart of stone. I want to put in you a heart of flesh, a heart that's that's alive. The, the, The tissue is living. It's beating. Blood is pumping through it. Jesus says, I want to give you life. And I wonder, maybe, um, maybe you felt before, like life is just pointless, hopeless. Um, whenever we treasure anything more than Christ, it's eventually going to lead there. Maybe you've never felt that. Maybe you've never felt like it's pointless. 
I'm sure some of you have, but no matter what, if we treasure things instead of Christ, we're going to realize they're dead ends. They don't give us what we want. Our treasures aren't what we hope for. We realize that, that we, we purchased a knockoff, and it doesn't compare to Jesus. I'm a pretty cheap person. Um, I don't like spending money. Um, someone even asked me once I had to make a purchase for the church uh, that was pretty big and wasn't exciting. I'm like, no, I hate spending money. I don't want to spend any money. Um, so I, for years, I'd buy, I, I'd see the good item and the price tag, and then I'd find the cheap item because I could save a buck or something. Sometimes it was so stupid. Um, it, but uh, over time, I realized that these knockoff items, these, these fakes, a lot of times they weren't worth it. I had a buddy in college, he said, buy nice or buy twice. And I just thought the guy always blew his money. But he was so right. There's just certain things. And if you've lived long enough, you know this is true. There's certain things you spend the money for it. Because in the long run, it's way better. Maybe it's, maybe it's like shoes or cars or, I don't know, chocolates. I have no idea. Whatever you're like, tools. There we go. Some guy's like, oh, yeah, I get that. Um, you need to spend enough, right? Buying the knockoff isn't worth it. And everything compared to Jesus, everything this world has to offer is just a cheap imitation. None of it's going to do what you hope it will. None of it will satisfy like the stream of living water that we have in Christ. None of it will bring you joy or fulfillment like Jesus. And the reason is because he's your creator. Like we were made to be in relationship with him. I, uh, I have a guitar, um, I don't play much anymore. Uh, at best, I'm just a middle-of-the-road guitar player. Like, I know several chords. I can strum in rhythm, but I'm not that good. Uh, several months ago, I had to take my guitar in to get some just kind of basic repairs, just basic maintenance um, on my guitar. So I went to Beacocks, this local music store, and, and the guy there that works on the guitars, he's absolutely amazing like if you're into guitars all you should just go talk to this guy so he, he he's been trained in, in 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 not only working on guitars but he's built guitars like he went to school to do this for his job and he, i think he's been at beacocks for like 17 years so i take my guitar to him and he's looking it over he's asking me questions asking me how i can play and there's stuff that he knew about my playing style i'm like this is so strange like how do you know that just by looking at my guitar and um and, and so we start going over the necessary repair list or, or what really should be done but then he's like but let me tell you this and then he starts playing my guitar and it was unbelievable right like I strum the guitar I don't play the guitar okay so so he starts playing my guitar he's like do you hear that I'm like uh yeah <laughs> totally um but why don't you explain it to me right so then he explains it to me and he's like, if we did this and that, it would revolutionize your guitar. Like, it would be like going from a black and white TV to a color set. I'm like, well, you just did that thing. You sound like you know what you're talking about. Let's do it, right? So he does all the work. He calls me up. It took a while. He's pretty busy. I got it like six weeks later. I come in. He opens it up. He goes over everything he did. And then he plays the thing. And he was right. It was amazing, the difference. I, I could not believe. And talk about value. I don't like spending money. Totally worth it. Like, it was unbelievable. The difference in the tone, the, the, just the warmth of the sound. And he's going up and down the, the, the neck. And it just sounds incredible. And I get my guitar home. And I open it up. 
You see where I'm going? <laughs> I open it up, and I play the thing, and I felt bad for my guitar. <laughs> yeah, like it was almost a crime that I'm the one that owns this guitar. Because I, 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 I can't play it like it was meant to be played. And, and maybe you're like, Greg, you can get better. It's been a while. Okay? <laughs> I'm not getting much better. I'm not going to be as good as this guy. And similarly, we're never going to know what life is like until we put our hands, or until we put ourselves in the hands of God. We're never going to be who we were created to be until we let God be God, until we trust Him and say, You're Lord, You're Master. I put my faith in You alone. Because God's inviting us. He's saying, Will you, will you let me mold you? Let me make you into what I created for you. I created you to be in this relationship with me. And believe me, it is beautiful. Verse 9, Luke 24, it says, In returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven, right, the disciples, and to all the rest. And that was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe. Belief is imperative when it comes to the gospel. Belief is is absolutely essential. Acts 16.31 says, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. I know I read this verse earlier, but I'm going to read it again. Romans 10.9 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The gospel demands a response. You either reject it or you believe it. You say, I'm all in. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing, right? We don't do anything to get it. It says it's a gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. I'm going to rip off an illustration from a pastor in New York named Tim Keller. He says, one day you go to your mailbox and you open it up and, and, and there's, there's an envelope it's from an attorney, and you never heard of this attorney before, no clue what this is about. You break it open, and, and the paper is like really expensive paper, right? And everything looks official, and you're confused, but you read, and, and it says that, that you had some aunt that you've never heard of before, Aunt Janine. You never heard of this woman, and she didn't have any other relatives. You're the closest relative, so you're the beneficiary to this multi-million dollar estate. You read it a couple times, but you're skeptical, right? Like, why wouldn't you be? There's so many scams today. Of course this can't be true. Someone would have told me about Aunt Janine at some point. Like, there's no way that I'm getting millions of dollars because this woman I never met, it all had to end up with me. But you know what? You're going to call. You're going to make the phone call just in case. You'd be an absolute idiot not to make the phone call. It says the disciples didn't believe, right? And then verse 12, this is what Peter does. It says, but Peter rose. He ran to the tomb. Stooping, he looked in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. He went home marveling at what had happened. He wasn't satisfied just hearing from somebody else. He had to go check it out for himself. He wanted to find out, could this possibly be true? 
And if that's you today, like if you haven't trusted Jesus yet, I just encourage you at least, at least consider, at least check out Jesus. We're going to have people later that they'd love to talk with you. If you have questions, if you want to pray, if you just know in your heart like you need to respond in some way, we've got some people in a little bit that are going to be ready to talk with you. But let me pray. Jesus, I thank you that today we get to celebrate you. We celebrate you raising from the dead. Lord, I thank you that the grave could not hold you, Lord. That you rose proving that the sacrifice of your blood being spilt for us, your body being broken for us, that it was accepted by God. And because of that, we can have the forgiveness of sins, Lord. Jesus, I pray for our hearts, whether we've been going to church for decades or maybe this is our first time here. Lord, I pray that our hearts would respond to you. We'd respond to the truth of the gospel, Jesus. It is in your holy name that we pray. Amen. We're going to take communion. We're going to continue to celebrate Easter, and we're going to do that right now by taking communion. So our ushers are going to come forward. And communion, it's for, this is a meal that Jesus said, this is for my people, right? So if you have put your faith in Jesus, this meal is for you. If not, just let it pass by. Like, no one's watching. No one's going to know you didn't take it. Um, But this meal, it it represents Christ's body broken for us and the blood shed for us. And you can start passing it out. Um, So you're going to hold this. You're going to take the elements. You're going to hold them. And then after this song, I'll come up and lead us all in, in taking these elements together.